On Sunday evening for the last several weeks, we have been looking at different songs in our songbook. I'm not sure that we really appreciate or understand how important the song portion of our worship service is. The song leader has a great responsibility as he chooses the songs that he is going to lead the congregation in. And certainly we understand that the Bible teaches us that when we sing those songs that we are teaching and admonishing one another with those psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so we want to sing songs that are scriptural. We want to sing songs that are encouraging. And sometimes in our service we realize that the songs are even comforting. Because there are times that we have lost a loved one, someone that is dear to us, and when we come together and sing, we realize that those words encourage us and give us comfort and strength to face the days ahead. A song leader has a great responsibility, as I said. Timing is also something that is very important, and I'm not talking about the tempo. I'm talking about the song that we're going to look at tonight. And it is page 161, which is our invitation song that we're going to use for at the conclusion of our service tonight. And I say that timing is important because I remember on one occasion there was a gospel preacher that had preached his heart out and was encouraging people to obey the gospel that they needed to come now, that they need to come this morning at the conclusion of this service while we're singing this song. And the song that they sang was, Oh, Why Not Tonight? Timing was not all right that day. You want people to respond on time. An invitation is also very important. I know of another occasion when someone had preached their heart out and the song leader decided that he was going to sing a song that no one knew. And someone responded to the invitation that caused that song leader to get choked up and it kind of messed up the singing. So you want that song to be an extension, basically, of the invitation that's been extended to encourage people to take that step out into that aisle because it's tough to take that step sometime. And so as, sing, as we sing these songs, we need to realize the importance of those songs. And one of my favorite invitation songs is, Oh, Why Not Tonight? Page 161. You already have it marked. If you want to get it out, you can look because that's going to be our outline for tonight. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15 that we are to sing with the Spirit and the understanding. And so it is a fitting that we examine the songs that we sing. And this invitation is no different. Tonight I want to look at that song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? It was uh, written in 1842 under the heading of The Accepted Time. And it was written by Elizabeth Reed, who was born in England in 1794. The tune as we know it, appeared in songbooks in 1886. If you look at some of the old songbooks, it doesn't have all the verses that we have in our songbook. But let's examine those words of that song and see what we can learn that will help us to do what is right as we sing those songs and encourage one another. The first phrase of that song is, Oh, do not let the word depart. Why do we offer an invitation at the conclusion of every service? Why do we offer an invitation on Sunday morning? Why do we offer one on Wednesday night? Why do we offer one on Sunday night? And the fact is, it's, we want people to be saved. And we want people to go to heaven. 
And we want to offer an invitation as often as we can come together and we can extend that invitation. And I would like to remind people that that invitation doesn't close at the end of that song. If you called in the middle of the night and you wanted to obey the Gospel, I would willingly get out of bed and I would come over here to this building and I would baptize you into Christ. That's how important it is that people obey the Gospel. We want people to go to heaven. And we want to do it God's way. As we mentioned this morning, God has a plan and we need to be pleased with the plan that He has. And we see that when people wanted to obey the Gospel, it was immediate. They didn't wait and make an appointment for next Sunday or a month from Sunday. Uh, they, they did it immediately. The Ethiopian unit, when he said, see, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? He was asked the question if that he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He made that confession and they immediately at that moment went down into the water, both him and Philip, and he baptized him. And he came up out of that water rejoicing. There are many churches today where the invitation is no longer considered that important. And I'm not saying that they're wrong because the order that we have in worship is set up by man. We need to make sure that everything that we do is acceptable to God, but here we want to make sure that that invitation is open at every opportunity that we have. And that invitation is a fact that is a fact that we find in the scripture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30, he said, "Come unto me." That is that great invitation that he extends to all people to come unto him. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, it brings a message of God to a conclusion by saying, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. But there are many people today who refuse to come and they let that opportunity to obey the Gospel, that glorious Gospel, slip away, and sometimes it slips away for eternity. Oh, do not let the Word depart. That verse appeals to the urgency of the matter. We're called upon not to let the words of Christ, let the Word of God depart from our lives. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Again, we see Jesus pleading with people to allow him to come in. And here he's talking to those that are members of the body of Christ, those who are Christians. They have shut him out. And how sad that is that when someone has obeyed the gospel, that they need to invite Christ back into their life. And they need to open the door to Him. And so that invitation is not only to those who are alien sinners, those that have never obeyed the Gospel, but that invitation is extended for those who have become unfaithful and need the prayers of the congregation. And want to know, let people know that they have repented of their ways and they want to come back to the cause of Christ. There are limited opportunities that we have to make changes in our lives. The song goes on and says, And close thine eyes against the light. We are never so blind as when we refuse to see. We don't want to close our eyes to our spiritual condition. In Scripture, that is a sign of rebellion. 
when we look at our lives or we refuse to look at our lives and see the spiritual condition that we have, that we are in, it indicates a willingness or a willful refusal to see one's present condition. In Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 14, it says, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall not see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. You see, there's a healing that's possible for people with their sin. It can be taken care of, but when we close our eyes to our condition, we're in a sad situation. We're in open rebellion to God when we say that I don't want to see what I'm looking, what I look like spiritually, and I don't care. God gives us an opportunity to have that salvation. We need to seize that opportunity. And so the song goes on, Poor sinner, harden not your heart. The Bible speaks of a hardened heart. And perhaps the most well-known hardened heart that we can find in the Old Testament and in the New would be Pharaoh. Pharaoh in the Old Testament, when Moses went to him, we see that his heart was hardened. He refused to be obedient to what God wanted him to do in letting the children of Israel go. And in Luke chapter 8 and verses 11 through 12, it says, Now a parable is this The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the, the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. This passage describes the person that has a hard heart by the wayside of a field, where the, the seed is the word of God, and that seed cannot penetrate the heart. Why can it not penetrate the heart? Because that soil has not been prepared. And it remains on top of the surface. And then Satan comes along and snatches that seed before anything can be done. Many times people hear the Gospel of Christ. And I've had people that say, I know what I need to do. I know I need to make changes. I know I need to be baptized. And then they wait. And they wait. And they wait. And before long, those things that prick that heart to begin with, no longer prick that heart. Their heart becomes hardened. And people can encourage them and try to get them to obey the Gospel. And sometimes it never happens because when that, when that seed was first there, first planted in that heart, they let it slip away. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15, while it is said, Today if you will hear, the vo hear the, His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Don't let your heart be hardened. Verse 2 of the song tells us something that's very important. Tomorrow's sun may never rise. One reason we preach urgency in obeying the Gospel is because we know that we don't have much time left. We don't know how much time we have. It's very possible that there are some here tonight that this will be the last opportunity that they have to do what is right. It may be possible for all of us that this could be our last opportunity to do what is right. That verse appropriately begins by noting that tomorrow's sun may never rise. I wonder, and I've wondered this quite often, how many people get up every day and they don't make it to the end of the day? How many got up on that morning and thought, oh, it's just going to be a normal day and I'm going to make it? And I'll see tomorrow and the next day and the next day. 
And how many don't see the sunset? How many fail to see the next day? Because the Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. And so that appointment is before every single one of us. All of us. You, me, all of us. We're not going to make it. We're going to have life that comes to an end. In fact, as I point out many times in funerals that I do, in the book of Genesis, we can see that genealogy list that's there in chapter 5, and it lists all those people, and they lived hundreds and hundreds of years, Methuselah, 969 years, but at the end of every single one of those verses, it says, and he died. Every one of us, if this world lasts, is going to die. In fact, James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. How much time do we have? We don't know. How much time do you have as an individual? You don't know. Oh, we'd like to think that we're going to live to be a ripe old age, but we have no promise of tomorrow. So tomorrow's sun may never rise to bless thy long deluded sight. The one who thinks... He has all the time in the world has a deluded sight. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus talks about a rich man. And He says, beginning in verse 18, this is what that rich man said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? He had his hope and he had his trust. He had his faith in those possessions. But guess what? That night he was going to die. And I ask you, I don't say these things to try to scare us, but I want us to think. Do you have your, do you have your faith in the right place? Do you have your trust in the right place? Like that rich fool, tonight could be the time when we're called to stand before God in judgment. And the question is, are you ready? If that took place tonight. The song goes on, This is the time, O then be wise. That verse speaks of the wise man realizing that now is the time. Not tomorrow, now. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. The wise man made proper preparation. He was ready for the storms of life. question is, are we ready for the storms of life? Are we ready for the judgment? We need to be wise. We need to be prepared. We need to obey God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, it tells us now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Yes, tomorrow the sun may never rise. Today, right now, is the time to be wise 
and obey our Lord. The next verse of the song says, Our Lord in pity lingers still. In that verse, we see the pity of God. Considering the corrupt world that we live in, one might ask, why would God continue to put up with all that's going on? And the answer is His pity. He lingers or delays His coming for a specific reason. In Psalms 86 and verse 15, it says, But Thou, O Lord, art a God of full, full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. God is a merciful God. He doesn't give us what we deserve when we, get, when we do something that we shouldn't. He delays. And sometimes we take advantage of that delay and think that, well, we're going to have another opportunity and another opportunity, but sometimes it's too late. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, it says, Therefore will the Lord wait that He may be gracious unto you, and therefore will be exalted that He may have mercy upon you, for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for Him. Are you waiting for the Lord's return? I talk about it sometimes, even pray about it, that, I, that we can look forward to that day that we stand before God. How many of us really are looking forward to that day? If that trumpet was to sound right now and that shout from the angel, would we be saying, oh, we're welcome, we're, we're glad to see you coming? Or would we be like some that would run and hide and try to keep from that happening? In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want anyone to be lost. He's made a way so that you and I could be saved, and he made a way so that all of mankind could be saved. But it's up to us, you and me, as to whether or not. We take advantage of His pity, His mercy, His long-suffering. The song goes on and says, Wilt thou thus His love requite? That word requite means to make repayment or return for the services or benefits. And so our song asks the question concerning the love that He has shown for us by waiting to return and putting up with all that we have done. Will we repay that love by turning to Him and serving Him? Think about how good God has been to you. Do you return that goodness with the life that you live? In 1 John chapter 4, and verse 9, the Bible says we love Him because He first loved us. Do we? Do we love the Lord? Do we take advantages of the opportunities that He gives to us? Do we trust Him? The song goes on, Renounce at once thy stubborn will. There are many who know what they need to do, but they are letting something stand in their way. There are some that go to church every Sunday that need to obey the Gospel. They need to make that change, but they're not willing to take that step and do so. And the song says, Renounce at once thy stubborn will. Perhaps they don't want to give in or give up to some 
sinful behavior that they have or some ungodly relationship that they're in. Maybe they realize that they need what they need to do, but not willing to make the commitment that they know they need to make to the Lord. But such an attitude will not change other factors such as those already mentioned about death and the judgment. We can be stubborn to the very end of our life, but it's not going to change the fact that we're going to die and we're going to be judged. And we have two destinations that we will have that we make the choice of in this life. That would be heaven or hell. The next verse tells us that the world has nothing left to give. It has no new, no pure delight. In Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse nine, the things that have been, the thing that hath been, it hath that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Solomon tells us that there's nothing new. And that was back in his day and the the same statement could be made today. There's nothing new under the sun. Same sins that bothered people in the past still bother people today. The same motives that they had back in 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 the Garden of Eden are the same motives that we have today. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 14, he goes on to say, And I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of the Spirit. So there's nothing new. Oh, you hear people say, Oh, the world's changed. This Bible is old fashioned. You read the Bible, and you will find that the same thing that motivated them to sin motivates people today to do the same things. Oh, we may have the internet to do it with. We may have television to do it with. We may have a lot of things to do it with. But it's still basically the same sin. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 11, Peter says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You see, those things that are temporal in this life are not going with us when we die. They're going to be burned up. They're going to melt away. So where should our concern be? And so the song goes on to say, Oh, try the life which Christians live. Be saved, oh, tonight. That too poses another valuable lesson that contrasts the riches of this world with the blessings that await us in eternity. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it hath not yet appeared what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We're going to be like Christ. Whatever that means, whatever, whatever form He's in, that's what we're going to be like. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13, John writes, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. In heaven, it's going to be a place where we're blessed. A place where we can rest. 
That is the faithful Christian, the saint. It says, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. We have to be in the Lord, and the only way to get in the Lord is through the act of baptism. And certainly we understand that we have to believe and hear, or we have to hear that word and believe that word, and then we must repent of our sins and confess the name of Christ, and then we're candidates to be baptized into Christ, and there in Christ we can have that hope of heaven. And know that when we do face that judgment scene, we will have a home with Him for eternity where we can rest from our labors. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Brethren, we don't, do we understand the power of that peace that passeth all understanding? When we're not in a right relationship with God, we cannot have that peace that passeth all understanding. But when we know that we are faithful to our Lord, when we know that we're doing what we're supposed to do, we have that peace. And we can, like Paul, look forward to that day when we can see our Lord return and we can spend eternity with Him. Are you looking forward to that day? song goes on. It says, Our blessed Lord refuses none. That verse notes a fact that many must come to grips with. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, you can be saved. That should be good news. I've run into people, studied with people, talked with people that have said, you don't know what I've done. God don't want me. God can't save me. My friend, let me tell you this. There's no sin that's too great that God cannot forgive. There's no sin that's so awful that the blood of Christ cannot cleanse. God will forgive even the vilest of sinners if we will simply obey Him. Our blessed Lord, as the song says, refuses none. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. As you examine the life of Jesus, you find him forgiving adulterers, tax collectors, the poor, the cast out of society, zealots, as well as many who would be considered honorable people in society. You think about Cornelius, a godly man, a good man, but yet he needed to obey the gospel. He gave alms to the poor. He prayed. He did lots of good things. In fact, highly spoken of. But he still needed to obey the gospel. And so on the cross, we even see him that as he was hanging there, and he forgave and accepted a thief. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. And I want you to think about Paul, the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, 
and his former conduct as a murderer, as a blasphemer, as a persecutor, yet he obtained mercy from God. And he did those things against the body of Christ, against God's people, and yet he was forgiven. He said in First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Brother, none of us had a perfect record. We need the blood of Christ. No one is so clean, no squeaky clean, so sinless that they don't need the blood of Christ. Every single one of us need the blood of Christ. And that's what's going to save us. Not our good, wonderful works, but the things that God did for us. Who would to Him their souls unite? This verse also understands the importance of unity with Christ in receiving salvation. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. It says that we are baptized into Christ and thus we put on Christ. You want to be in Christ? That's where salvation's at. You want to be in the body of Christ? That's where salvation's at. And the body of Christ is the church. And we must be baptized into that body so that we can put on Christ. The song goes on to say, Believe, obey, the work is done. I remember someone that objected to that portion of the song because it didn't say the words baptized. And I pointed out that it says believe and obey. The work is done. Believe what? We believe the gospel. We believe what God's plan is when He tells us that we need to repent of our sins. We believe what He tells us when it comes to confessing His name before men. We believe what He says about baptism, that it's baptism that washes away our sin. And we believe what Jesus says about being obedient and faithful to Him until death. And that's where the work is done when we get to the end of this life, when we've obeyed our Lord because we love Him because He first loved us. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, Though we, he, he were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. I remember standing at that door one Sunday night and a visitor met me at that door and said, you said, you mean we have to be obedient? We have to obey? Well, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you what the Lord said. Yes, we have to obey Him. Oh yes, that's His grace. His grace is telling us what we need to do in order to be saved. But it's up to you and I as to whether or not we obey what He's told us that we need to do. At the end of each verse, the song says, Be saved, O tonight. And so I ask you tonight, if you're not a Christian, why not become one tonight? Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next year. Don't wait until you say that I practiced it and I, have, I, I think that I can do it because you're not going to live a Christian life until you're a Christian. And if you're not prepared to meet God, then these words ought to weigh heavily on your mind 
and upon your soul. Why not tonight? You can leave here tonight having once again turned down an opportunity to make your life right with God. Or you can leave here tonight like the Ethiopian eunuch when he obeyed the Gospel and came up out of that water and says he went on his way rejoicing. You can leave tonight a child of God in your way rejoicing. You have that opportunity. The question is, are you willing to take the chance? If not, then I would encourage you to obey Him tonight. You have that opportunity to come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.